I know. I did all that on purpose. Um, I want to give a testimony this morning. Um, at the beginning of the year, we felt that there were not as many testimonies as there used to be or should be, and so we all fasted and prayed as a church, and it just broke open. And we've had so many stories all year long. In fact, uh, the last Sunday of this month, the last Sunday I mean, of the year, is going to be Testimony Sunday, where we are going to just hear about all the things God did in our lives all year long. Amen? Amen. It's going to be an inspirational Sunday. What a great way to end the year glorifying God, shining a big fat light on Him. This is what you did in our lives this year. And... Um, I felt that rolling around in me the last few weeks, and then this morning um, in, the inter- in the pre-service prayer at 930, um, Kathy and Gary Mancini both were saying the exact same thing over and over and over. I really feel like we're supposed to be testifying about God's goodness and what He's done in our lives, and I leaned over to Josh because he was going to preach the last Sunday of this year, and I said, you know, I think, he goes, I know, I was already thinking that on the way down to church, that the last Sunday of this year should be about testimonies of what God has done in our lives, so I think we've heard from the Holy Spirit. So that'll be the last Sunday. But in, uh, in that vein, I just heard a testimony last night, and I asked Carolyn if I could share with you this morning. Carolyn, uh, our children's pastor, who is getting married in January to some guy named Kobe, um, and they're trying to you know, obviously get their money together for, for their wedding, and she lost her job. It was, uh, they, they called her in uh, at lunch. Some of you have experienced this, and it was completely blindsided her. And so she was really stressing out. And so the, I, I meet with my leadership team once a month, and we're just having dinner. And they said, well, let's, let's all agree in prayer for a miracle. We were talking about God doing the biggest things at the end of this year. That's what we're believing for. By the way, we're believing for God to do his biggest things over the next few weeks to cap off this year. The Bible says that God crowns the year with his goodness. How many of you want your life crowned with God's goodness, all right? Yeah. yeah. So... We prayed for a specific number for her to get. Well, she, I just heard yesterday that uh, through Kobe, and I went and confirmed it with Carolyn this morning, because we don't like to exaggerate here. God doesn't need help being God. Just say what he did, and that'll be more than enough. So I said, I don't want to exaggerate. Tell me exactly what happened. She said, well, um, beat out 75 people for this job. They offered me a salary, and I said, no. Because we had prayed for a specific number. She went back. And what they gave her back, uh, plus um, what the church pays her, uh, what you guys pay her for her children's ministry, is the specific number and over and above. So how's that for a great testimony? We want a happy children's pastor, right? Isn't that awesome, man? More than enough. So this morning, I want to break open a new series for this Christmas season. And it's not just because it's a Christmas season, but it is a great opportunity for us to remember how we got here and how we're getting there. It has nothing to do with our good works, has nothing to do with the church that you belong to, has nothing to do with how much money you put in the offering plate. It has nothing to do with our unrighteousness or our righteousness. It begins with, is sustained by, and ends with Jesus Christ himself. So easily we can identify with our denomination, a revival, 
a breaking in of God, a, a, a momentary kaboom of God. Um, our good works for the Lord, serving in the children's church, or going on missions trips, and all the stuff, all the busyness, which is all kingdom activity, activity, and that can become our religious experience. That can become our identity with our spirituality, is what we do and what God is doing, and all that stuff. But the reality is, here's what the word says, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing, if you know the scripture, say it out loud, in Christ. It's all because of him. And it culminates with us bowing down before Jesus in heaven and everybody that said yes to him is worshiping him all the beasts around the throne the four-headed beasts and the angels and the seraphim and and it says john said i saw the future he said i saw heaven there were so many people there it, you couldn't there's no way you could count them it was like a like a like a sea of glass and it was just people forever worshiping the lamb so Let us not be distracted with who this is really all about. And here's the amazing thing. I'm calling this series Love Came Down because the definition of religion is our human efforts to reach God. And we never will be able to. And he knew that. So he came down. <laughs> what other God has ever or would ever do that? In all of human history, all the gods that you read about, they are gods that need to be appeased or they will crush you. I've been around the world and I've seen so many, in so many different countries, I've seen these offerings that people, these little fruit offerings they put at the end of their driveway as an appeasement to their God for that day. Trying to earn favor. Trying to earn acceptance. Trying to earn the, the, the blessing of the God and not the curse. Trying to reach up. The gospel is our God who created and rules the universes it's so hard for us to grasp this because we're so used to hearing it. But it's just, for people who've never heard this before, when I've taught this in uh, back villages in Ethiopia, they've never heard that a God, a benevolent God, a God of love would come down to help a people who cannot help themselves. They've never heard of that kind of God. And that's our God. Love came down. I remember standing with about 300 villagers because it was going to rain. So we decided just to do one big mass 
presentation. We were doing it one by one because in this particular area, they would not receive Christ if there was two people there, a neighbor or a friend or a family member or somebody in the village. And we asked, finally asked them why. And they said, because if I receive your Jesus, when I go home, I'll be beaten or I'll be cast out of my village. So we started doing them one, one at a time. And they started receiving Christ like that. Well, it was going to rain, so we decided that we just have to do this for the whole village. So there are 300 villagers out there. And when I said through an interpreter, I know I'm going to heaven. They all at one time went, they all gasped. And it was like this wave of gasp that came over me. I was like, whoa, what was that? And the interpreter said, they have never heard anything like what you just said. Islam is a religion of fear, and they are used to living in fear. And nobody knows whether they're going to heaven or not. The gospel message is not what we do for God, it's what He has already done for us. And so the number one thing, when, when love comes into a person's life, love is always thinking about the other person. Love's never thinking about what it needs. Love's always thinking about the object of its love and what that person needs. That's love. And God is love. So God's always thinking about us. He's always thinking about what our needs are, even what our desires are. He loves us. He's the best dad in all the universe. And so when love came down, which is what we're going to be enjoying over the next few weeks is the revelation of this. Love brought exactly what we needed. And the first thing love brought was grace. Because if there's anything we need, it's the grace of God. Can I hear an amen? And there's nobody who has received the revelation of grace like a guy named Paul. His name was Saul, but it was changed to Paul who became an apostle, the leader of the church. And we're going to look through the life of Paul this morning at what it looks like to receive the grace of God. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 10. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. But by the grace of God. Will you read this out loud with me? But by the grace of God. Come on, let's read this out loud together, church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. That verse is chock full of revelation. Look what it says, the way it says it in the Passion Translation. But God's amazing grace has made me who I am. And His grace to me was not fruitless. In fact, I worked harder than all the rest. Yet not by my own strength but God's. We're going to look at that today. The strength of God in your life. For his empowering grace is poured out upon me. How many of you want the empowering grace of God to be poured out on you? There's three things this grace does. I want us to look at three things you have because of grace. Number one is salvation. Salvation is by grace. When Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God, the first thing he was was a believer. And that was purely by God's grace. We have to understand that Paul was the captain of religiosity. Paul was the most religious person on the planet. 
He says, look, you're, you're a rule follower. I have, I have kept the rules better than any other religious person on the planet. But once he realized he could never have a relationship with God through rules, he chucked it all for a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that was his whole reputation. It was his wealth. It was his authority and power that he accumulated since his childhood. He said it is all equal to manure compared to knowing Jesus Christ himself. Paul had the revelation of grace, which is the revelation of the New Testament. That's why he says, I am what I am by the grace of God. And guess what? So are you. It's all by God's grace. Ephesians says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You see, do you see that catalyst right there? Do you see the catalyst? Is your faith. God saved you by his grace when? When you believed. Bam. That was the igniter. God's grace for salvation is over every person's life. It's when they hear the good news of Jesus and they believe it, that it activates the grace of God and poof, salvation takes place in that person's spirit. It's a miracle. It's the new birth, Jesus calls it. It's by grace and grace alone. And you can't take credit for this, the scripture says. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. You can't boast about how much money you've given to the church, how many times you've gone to church, where you serve, what you've done, how many people you've witnessed to, how many prayers you've prayed. None of that makes any difference when it comes to earning our way to heaven because you cannot. It's a gift. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. Will you say that out loud? I am God's masterpiece. Yeah, turn to the person next to you, especially your spouse, and say, I am God's masterpiece. (laughs) Say, you are looking at a sign and a wonder. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things that he planned for us long ago. There's your purpose right there. The truth is we work from salvation, not for salvation. We live from favor, not for favor. Man, I want you to live with that reality right here, right in the forefront of your brain. I want you to live with this truth, family of God, that you are living. If you're in Christ Jesus, you have been, past tense, have been blessed with all, not some, all spiritual blessings In Christ Jesus, he is the funnel of heaven into our lives. Once you come into Christ, you're in him. Everything he is, everything he has, everything he won, everything he earned is yours. So, you and I live every day with favor from God. It was given, it was bought for by Christ Jesus. It was bought by Christ Jesus for you and I. Rather than clawing for God's favor, we live in God's favor. That's why our prayers get answered. That's why doors open that shouldn't have opened and other doors closed that we want to close and couldn't close ourselves. That's all the favor of God in our lives. But Paul was not just a believer. He was also a blessing. And what does that mean? 
The reality is you were saved to serve. When you got born again, when you said yes to Jesus Christ, you didn't get, you're, you're not on a cruise ship, you're on a battleship. We have to understand this in our consumer uh, society, which we are just a product of. We come by it honestly. It's gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy. And if the restaurant's not good, you go to another restaurant. If that movie's not good, you go to a different movie. If that church isn't good, you pop to another church. If that marriage isn't good, you just go to another marriage. We're just in a consumer society. You know, what's in it for me? And if I'm not happy, then this is not working for me. Well, guess what? It's really not about you. It's about God and His goodness. We live in a God-bathed world. And God has a design for your life. And when you find out what God's design is for your life, then you receive the power of God to fulfill your divine purpose. And when you run your race, if you understand what I just said and you understand I have a divine purpose, God empowers you for that divine purpose. And then you show up on that day when you see Jesus face to face. And instead of him saying, how you doing? Give me, give me, my name is Jimmy. He'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I saw the way you served my church. I saw the way you served the world with the calling I had on you and the power I gave to you. You live for me. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And then he gives you a bunch of rewards. Woo! Rather than squeaking into heaven and having nothing to offer him, and everybody sees you buck naked in heaven. It's like, oh, you didn't serve the Lord down there, did you? I don't know if that's going to happen. That's just, that's just in my imagination. I don't know what it will look like if you don't serve the Lord before you get there. But I know what it will look like if you do serve the Lord. And that's the program I'm on. How about you? I don't want to find out what that other program looks like. You're saved to serve. You are on assignment to represent Jesus to the world. To represent him. When people run into you, you remind them of Jesus. Now, how do you do that? God has given you specific gifts. So to Paul, he was given the grace as an apostle. And Paul said, your grace toward me was not in vain. It wasn't empty. It wasn't useless. I didn't just like set your grace aside. And this is so important that we all understand why as I'm teaching on grace. The first thing that grace does is it gives you salvation for free. It's unmerited favor. But that's not all grace is. Grace is empowerment. Grace, the word for spiritual gifts, the supernatural spiritual gifts we talk about in our charismatic church. The gift of prophecy, the gift of healing, the working of miracles, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, the discerning of spirits, the, you know, the, the word of wisdom. The gifts of serving, the gift of leading, the gifts of teaching, the gifts of giving. They're gifts all over the Bible, right? These spiritual gifts that are given to every believer, that word gift is the same word for grace. In fact, Paul says, by the grace given to me, I say to you. Another scripture says, according to the grace given to you, use your spiritual giftings. You see, grace is not just a free entrance. Grace is also giftedness. And so God has gifted every single one of you as a soldier in his army to go out and advance his kingdom. Now, look how specific this grace is. In Galatians chapter 2, this is a very interesting passage. I don't know if you've ever seen this or not before. Look at this. It's, it's, 
It's, it's so clear about how God's graces in your life are specific for specific purposes. Galatians 2, 7 through 9. But on the contrary, Paul says, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the uncircumcised were... I'm sorry, I got that reversed. The gospel for the uncircumcised, that's the non-Jew, had been committed to me as the gospel for the Jew, the circumcised, was to Peter. For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the Jews, the circumcised. You see that? You see that phrase? For he who worked effectively in Peter for apostleship, that's a gift, to a specific people group. Also worked effectively in me toward the non-Jews or the Gentiles. Watch this. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the what? Grace that had been given to me. I have a grace on me that's a pastoral grace. That's why I can endure things as a pastor. Others can't. People say to me, oh man, I'd never want to be a pastor, which you have to go through. I say, well, there's a grace on me for it. And I say, I would never want to do what you're doing. I told the principal of uh, Ramona High School that just recently. We were talking. And I said, man, I would never want your job. He's like, oh, no. That's, it wasn't, I realized, well, he, I said, oh, yeah, it's your calling. He has a grace for it. You have a grace to be a dad. There's a grace on you as a father, as a mother, as a husband, as a wife, as a child. There's a grace on you as a school teacher, as an electrician. Whatever it is that you're calling is as a missionary, there is a specific grace on you. It's an empowerment from God to do your assignment. When they saw the grace that was given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the uncircumcised. That's why when Paul tried to go to the Jews, it didn't work. Isn't that interesting? He's called to preach the gospel all over the world. So he tries to go to his own people, which sounds logical. I'm Jewish. I'm going to go to my Jewish people, and I'm going to tell them about Jesus. And they would not receive it. And they kept beating him up, whipping him, throwing him in prison, and casting him out of towns. And he was so frustrated until he came to a place where he realized, oh, God has specifically assigned me to the non-Jew, which doesn't make any sense other than it's God's divine assignment. And when you go to the Gentiles, poof, miracles are happening. Churches are birthed. Cities are changed. Peter, on the other hand, was called to the Jewish people. Grace is a real thing. It's a tangible thing. You need to recognize that it's on you and working in you and working through you. That it's not all up to you. And here's the second thing about Grace. It not only gives you salvation, it gives you strength. Once you recognize your divine assignment, whether it is as, as I'll say general, but it, this is specific, but even as, as general as a husband or a wife or a, a, a child or a parent or a teacher or a leader or a, whatever you may be doing. Even when it's general like that, you're graced to do that assignment. And God's grace brings you strength. There is no way the Apostle Paul could have fulfilled his assignment as an apostle 
being beaten and whipped and forsaken by friends, shipwrecked, going without food, going without sleep, being betrayed, satanic opposition. There's no way he could have fulfilled his call in human strength. I mean, that's just ridiculous, right? Neither can you. You may not be the Apostle Paul, but he had his calling, you have your calling. He had his grace, you have your grace. He, he depended on God's strength, you must depend on God's strength. The Bible says the person that depends on their own strength will be like a tumbleweed and a parched land. You won't even see when good happens because you're so full of anxiety and stress and dryness. And it goes on to say, but he or she who sees the Lord as their strength will bear fruit in every season. They will flourish by the streams. And you will not even be anxious in the year of drought. God's strength is a real thing. It is, you feel it physically in your body. You know it's his strength because it's going beyond anything you could ever go beyond. But here's what's interesting about a partnership with God. He will require you to use every ounce of your strength. And then he supplies his strength mixed in with your strength. I found this to be true over and over and over and over again. I have to use every ounce of my human capability. And I'm at the end of myself. And then God goes, like, whoa, that wasn't me. How did I get up this morning? How are you still married after all these years? How have you not locked your kids in a closet and just didn't tell anybody about it? How is it you haven't killed that dog yet that's going to the bathroom on your new carpet? How is it that you stayed at that job so long when you've been mistreated for so long? How is it that you're still in church after the negative experiences you've had over the years? Just think about your life and how God's strength has infused itself into you over and over and over again. That's grace. Paul said, I have labored more than all the other apostles. I'm not sure what the other apostles thought when they read that, but he said, I have labored more than all the other apostles, yet not I, but God's grace that's within me. Look at this. Look what he says in Second uh, Corinthians. This is really, really, really key. It says, The extraordinary level of the revelations I've received is no reason for anyone to exalt me. For this is why a thorn in my flesh was given to me. The adversary's messenger is sent to harass me, keeping me from becoming arrogant. Now, personally, I don't believe that was a physical ailment. Um, the word thorn in the flesh is used five times in the Old Testament. It's always about people persecuting you. And if you read the chapter before this, Paul lists all the trials he's been through. And it was persecution, persecution, persecution. None of it was sickness or disease. So that's why I don't extrapolate that and say it was a thorn in the flesh is meaning that somebody's harassing you. And he even says it. Every town he'd go into, he'd get beat up, thrown into prison. And he was trying to advance the gospel. And he kept running into hardships as he was trying to advance the gospel. And he says to the Lord, he says, please, three times, please relieve me of this. But he answered me, my grace is always more than enough for you. 
Will you say that out loud? Say, God's grace is always more than enough for me. Just say that. All right, say it again. Come on and believe it. God's grace is always more than enough for me. Say it again. God's grace is always more than enough for me. Now listen, you're going to have to choose power over pity. You're going to have to choose power over self-pity. God's grace is right here for you, Lily. Every day, it's right there. Courtney, every day, God's grace is available. As a wife, you need double grace. As a mother, as a, as a worship leader, and whatever else you're doing, Courtney, Mike, Chris, everyone in here. You've got to know that that grace is literally a tangible empowerment and strength that's right there for you every day. And you choose it by faith. Remember I told you your faith activated the salvation of God? Your faith, your belief in the grace of God in your life activates His strength in you for anything He calls you to do. You have to know that it's there and you have to choose it. If you don't know it's there, you can ignore it. Now listen to this. This is really important. The grace of God was right there for Paul. As Paul is praying to the Lord, remove this trial from me. Remove this difficult person from me. Remove this boss from me. Remove this, whatever it might be, this pressure from my life. Remove it, Lord. Remove it, Lord. Remove it, Lord. And, Paul, and God said three times to him, what? What did he say? My grace grace is more than sufficient for you. So his grace had been there the whole time. But Paul was not focusing on the grace of God. He was focusing on the trial. You see that? God had to take Paul's face and say, son, look this way. And Paul says, but my trial. And God says, son. Look over here. But Lord, my son, look over here. Oh, you're trying to show me something. (laughs) Paul, I'm not going to remove this trial from your life. But I'm telling you something. My grace is more than sufficient for you to be victorious in that situation. That's why he goes on to say this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to remove this. And he answered, my grace is more than sufficient for you. For my power finds its full expression through your weakness. Remember one time I had a consultant come in that was, uh, she consults 500 Fortune, uh, Fortune 500 companies. She came in and and uh, at that time, we had about 70 people serving in the church. And uh, she came in and, and did an analysis on everyone. And, and uh, we had a great seminar. And it, the thing that absolutely shocked me was my greatest weakness, my greatest character weakness. Uh, well, it used to be my greatest, char- great, greatest character weakness. But through a process of years of the Lord not letting me quit and strengthening me and infusing His strength and His character into me, when we took the analysis, I could not believe the, the, the results of the test. 
what used to be my weakest characteristic was at the very top. It was my strongest characteristic. I could not believe it. And I looked at that, I looked at that pyramid with my strongest characteristic was at the top. And I just, I just, I knew it wasn't me. I said, you put that part of your character in me. You worked that in me. This is what Paul is saying right here. Watch this. God says, my power finds its full expression through your weakness. So Paul says, so because God said that to me, I will celebrate my weaknesses. For when I am weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. I was driving down to uh, pastor's regional meeting, which I chair. And I'm leaving, you know, my wife who's going through chemo at home. And it's hard to see your spouse going through what she's going through. And, um, and then all the other things going on in my life, which I've shared with you. And this isn't about me, but it is because it's my example for you as well. That I'm going through it. My family, we're going through it, man. We're going through the valley of the shadow of death right now. We are going through a serious trial right now. Every day you wake up. And have you noticed that life doesn't stop for you? Anybody ever noticed that before? A life doesn't stop? Life doesn't say, oh, you need a day off, don't you? You just need a break from this. You wake up and there it is, right? Life. Anybody? Am I alone? Okay. And so you wake up and you know, I still have to hit it. And I'm driving down to this meeting and I'm feeling incredibly weak. And I'm thinking, oh, I've got to leave this meeting. I haven't prayed about it. I haven't thought about it. I'm supposed to facilitate discussion. These senior pastors from around the region are coming in, and they're expecting me to lead. And this thought hit me. The deeper my trial goes, the higher His grace rises. It was in that moment of weakness that rather than focusing on the weakness I realized because of what Paul is saying here and my own experiences over the years, I've learned that when you are weak, that's actually a good thing. Because it is the doorway to God's power. That's why Paul said, I celebrate my weaknesses. Look what he says here. I will celebrate my weaknesses. That is contrary to our culture, right? We don't celebrate weakness. We cover up our weaknesses. I will celebrate my weaknesses, but, del- but I, am, I will celebrate my weaknesses. For when I am weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. So I am not defeated by my weaknesses, but delighted. For when I feel my weaknesses and endure mistreatment, when I'm surrounded with troubles on every side and face persecution because of my love for Christ... I am made yet stronger. He's not talking about philosophy. He's talking about his own personal physical experience. That he is made stronger from my weakness. Watch this. From my weakness becomes a portal to God's power. I, I have half my sermon left, but this is the bailiwick right here. This, this is what this is all about. This moment right here is what this message is for. The strength 
of God. Exchanges with you when you're at your weakest point. When your finances are in a mess because of your poor stewardship and you cry out to God, not only is He going to bless you financially, He is going to give you the opportunity to learn about stewardship. We have stewardship courses here. And you not only get on your feet financially and start building your life to where it's financially stable, but then you become a teacher of others and you help other people who are financially in a mess. That's the wisdom of God. That's the grace of God. It could be a weak marriage. It could be a weak relationship with a child in your home. It could be feeling spiritually weak, drained, physically weak. Those weaknesses, what did it say? Become a portal to God's power. Addiction, a portal to God's power. Lostness, spiritual lostness, not saved. A portal for God's power of salvation. How many of you need to feel God's strength in your life, in some area of your life? Maybe in your physical body, in your financial life, in your relationship, in your career. Look at that. Everybody's hands are up almost. I want you to view your weakness as an opportunity for God. Rather than praying and asking God to remove the trial, I'm asking you to let him turn your face to see his grace and depend on it. Expect it and say, God, your grace, fill me with your strength and your grace and your favor. Show me, show me your strength and my weaknesses, and he will. Let's all stand. I'm telling you, this is, this is a major paradigm shift, isn't it? He says he celebrates his weaknesses. I, I am personally coming to a place where I actually laugh out loud when I really blow it and I have a, a glaring weakness. Paul said, I celebrate my weaknesses. I laugh because I think, man... You're going to show me your strength in this weakness right here. Isn't that a much better way to look at weakness? Rather than trying to cover it up and pretend like you don't have it. When everybody around you sees it. You're like, you're like, you're like somebody who hasn't taken a shower in a year. And you're walking around and you've put cologne all over yourself. Which even smells worse. And everybody knows that you stink. <laughs> and somebody tries to tell you you stink. And then you get mad and you get all defensive. Which makes you smell even more. When you stink, just admit it. So yeah. Yeah, I blew it there. Yeah, I, I'm weak in that area. Yes, I am. Confess your weaknesses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed, the Bible says. There's grace for humility. Come on, let's just turn our hands heavenward this morning. We all need more of God's grace. Love came down. 
And he brought grace. It's daily grace. Okay, I'm going to show you this miracle. I'm going to show you how it works. I really mean it. Think of an area of weakness in your life. And now invite God into it. I love something I read this week. It says, I messed up. Uh, I forget what it says. <laughs> Hang on. I got on here. It's really good. You just wait. It's worth it. I love this. I messed up. Dad is going to kill me. Versus, I messed up. I need to call my dad. <laughs> Told you it'd be worth it. I love, what I love about this church is we're not a bunch of posers. Nobody's trying to impress anybody around here. It's all by His grace. Come on, let's go to God this morning.